All right. Hi, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeside. Everybody having a good day? All right, good. We are in week two of a series that we started uh, last week (laughs) in uh, the story of Jonah. Jonah is a fantastic story. It's over the top. It's crazy. It's, It's the stuff of Marvel movies. It's, it's, it's something else. Uh, and the story that I heard as a kid uh, about Jonah is way different than the story that I now know as an adult, having revisited the story many, many times. And so that's what we're doing is we're kind of picking apart the layers and we're saying, what else is in this story? Uh, and we're asking some good questions about it because not everything at first glance is as it seems, right? Uh, for instance... A few years ago when my daughter, my, my youngest daughter, who's now 20, when she was probably six years old, something like that, um, I, I came into her room and she had been making art all day because she's an artist, as, as most kids are when they're six years old, but she's still an artist. She's an amazing artist, but she had, you know, I don't know, 175,000 pictures all over her room that she had been painting that day and that she had been taping onto the wall and she used a ton of scotch tape to do so. Uh, Copious amounts of scotch tape. She got into mom's Costco stash of scotch tape and was, I mean, it was crazy. And so I went into her room. I was like, babe, daddy really loves your art. I love everything that you're doing, but you you can't use that much tape. And she was like, oh, but daddy, I have so much art and I I, want to put it up. I was like, I understand, but you you have to like slow down on, on, on the tape, please. She said, she said, okay. Well, I come back in her room a few minutes ago, or a few minutes later, and she's got more, like 50 more pictures on the wall that she's used scotch tape. And I was like, yeah, I don't think we're really understanding the concept of not as much tape. So I said, babe, you can use two more pieces of tape. That's, that's it. Just two more pieces of tape. And she says, okay. So a few minutes later, I come, and there's like another 500 pictures all over her room. And obviously, she has used more than two pieces of tape. So I say, hey, wait a second. You told me that you were going to use two pieces of tape. You promised. And she said, I did. And I said, well, no, you didn't. Because, I, I mean, I'm not a mathlete, but I can look around the room, and I can see that this is more than two pieces of tape. And she said, Daddy, I only used two pieces of tape. And I said, no, you didn't. You're, you're lying to Daddy right now. You, you can't lie. And she starts crying. She said, Dad, I only used two pieces of tape. I just ripped them into smaller pieces, right? One piece of tape, two pieces of tape, right? Well, I felt like an idiot. I had to apologize to her. She kept her word. Sometimes we look at things, and the first time we look at them, uh, we see something that, I don't know, we just have to look beyond it to find out what's really going on there. And I think that's what's happening with the story of Jonah. So a little bit of a recap. Uh, last week, we started in chapter one. Today, we are going to be in chapter one. <laughs> it's the story that keeps on giving. So here we go. This is what happened last week. We learned that Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. He's given a miss- mission uh, by God to go talk to Nineveh, the capital of the vast Assyrian empire. But instead, he goes down to Joppa. He buys a ticket. He gets on a boat and he heads for Tarshish, which is on the, uh, on the southern coast there of Spain. Uh, and in Jonah's mind, that's as far away from everything as possible. Not only God, he's not, we learned last week, he's not only trying to get away from God, he's getting away from absolutely everything. And he doesn't make it to Tarshish because on the trip, somewhere on the trip, a storm comes on the sea, the ship threatens to break up. I mean, it's going crazy. Everything's in chaos. And uh, Jonah says, hey, it's because of me. And we learned last week, 
When we were kids, and maybe we heard the story, when, when Jonah says, hey, it's my fault, and they throw him overboard, uh, we think, oh, that was, self, that was very self-sacrificial, right, of Jonah. But last week we learned, no, he's, he's got a death wish. Through the, through the whole thing, this whole story, Jonah just wants to die. He, he doesn't want to go through with what God is asking him to do, and he wants to die. It's not, it's not the last time that we see Jonah in the story saying, I just want to die. And so that's what happened uh, last week. We learned it's not a story that's about a fish. The fish is an ancillary character that shows up in the story, um, and it's much deeper than that. But to understand that it's much deeper, we have to ask the question, what kind of a story am I reading? This is super important when we come to the stories in the Bible, because uh, if we come with different expectations of a story because we think it's one thing, we're going to get different answers. We're going to have a different conclusion at the end of it. If I'm reading uh, a, a romance novel and I think it's a horror story, then I'm, I'm going to have a different idea about that story. <laughs> Some of you are saying, oh, I've had those romances that are horror stories. I've been there. <laughs> uh, but if I'm reading a horror story and I think it's instruction on what I should do for the rest of my life, well, bad things are going to happen. So we need to know uh, what's happening in the story. So words matter in stories. Context matters. The setting matters. The people uh, matter. The patterns that we see, all of that matters. For instance, let's talk about words for a minute. In the story of Jonah, the words clue us in to the specialness of this over-the-top story. It uses over-the-top language in this story, and we, we shouldn't miss this. For instance, the word big. It, it, in the story, if you're reading it in the English Bible, you'll see it as great, mighty, big. You'll see it. Same word shows up in this part of the story 14 times. There's a big wind. There's a big boat. There's a big fish. There's a big city he's supposed to go to. There's a big fear in the sailor. Uh, so you're supposed to, we're supposed to see these words and go, oh, I, we're using over-the-top language here. Something is special about this story. The word down shows up in the story over and over again. He goes down to the ship. He goes down to the bottom of the ship. He goes down to or Tarshish. And when, when they cast lots to find out who's responsible uh, for the, the calamity that has come upon them, uh, casting lots is like drawing straws, right? In the ancient world, it's like an ancient divination. It's like rolling the dice or the magic eight ball. <laughs> Who brought this storm upon us? Try again later. Uh, yeah, it's, it's that kind of thing. When, when they do that, when they cast lots to find out who's responsible, it says the lot fell down on Jonah. So down is a big thing. Uh, here's another word that's important. Jonah, his name. You know what it means? Any guesses? It means dove. Now, when you think of a dove, what do you think of? Peace, right? Tranquility, beauty, harmony. <laughs> like, you think of a precious little bird. But then you read the story and you're like, yeah, not so much. That's not exactly what's happening with Jonah. And then in, first, uh, in the first verse, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the dove, son of Amittai. And Amittai, that name means faithfulness. So now, right in the first verse, we learn this is a story about a gentle dove who is the son of faithfulness. But then the next verse says, and then he ran. Right? So it sets us up to go, oh, I see what kind of a story I'm reading. 
If you read in Psalm 55, verse 6 through 8, it's really a fun little passage. Now that you know that, it, this, it says, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. Dove, there is the word Jonah. So super fun. The words matter. And the context matters. It's, it's not only what we say that matters. It's the context, right? If you're ever in an argument with somebody, uh, you may have heard them say, it's not what you said, it's, it's how you said it, right? So context uh, setting, uh, it matters. If I'm in an argument with my wife, which never happens, and if I have to apologize for something I've done, which, psh, anyway, if I have to say something and I have to, I have to say I'm sorry, two words, I can say them a bunch of different ways, right? Oh, you know. I see you elbowing the person next to you. Yeah. I can say I'm sorry and mean it, and she knows that I mean it, and I show that I mean it. Or I can go, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I, can say it, I can say it a bunch of different ways, and it means something different. So the context uh, really matters. So imagine that you're on a phone call and the NSA is listening in on your conversation, which as if that happens. Oh, you know what happens, right? I mean, Facebook is listening for crying out loud. You don't think the government's listening? If I say I like booger-flavored jelly beans, Facebook's going to show me an ad for booger-flavored jelly beans 10 minutes from now. That's the way it works, right? So anyway... I digress. So picture you're on a phone conversation and somebody is in a black van somewhere writing down all the words that you say. They're listening in intently and they write down that you said, I didn't mean to put her down. That's the word you said. I didn't mean to put her down. Well, with no context, if you're just reading that on a page, what does that mean? It can mean anything. Well, I didn't mean to put her down. I meant to put him down. He's a jerk. It could mean that. You're not a jerk. I wasn't pointing at you. That wasn't real. It could mean, uh, well, I, I didn't mean to put her down like I'm making a list. Like I, I didn't mean to put her down. Or maybe you're making a list and I say, hey, who's coming to the party? And you go, oh, this person, this person, and, and her. And I go, whoa, 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 why'd you put her down? And you say, well, you told me to put her down. I go, well, I didn't mean to put her down. That was sarcasm. I don't want her to come to the party. See, it can mean a bunch of different things. Maybe I'm not even, maybe you're not even talking about a person. Maybe you're talking about a cat. I went to the vet today. I was just going to get shots for her and I didn't mean to put her down, but right? It could mean anything. So context matters. Now there's, there's two views of how we should look at the story. Some people say it's historical. Some people say that it's fiction. That really doesn't matter. Everybody agrees that it's over the top, like a, a graphic novel. It's like a comic book. Like the, the makers of Deadpool should make Jonah into a movie because it's, it's insane. Context matters. Words matter. And the story matters because it's telling us something. We want to hear from the story. I have to say, what are you telling us, story? Now, when you approach any story in the Bible, you have to ask questions about what you're reading, like what type is it, what genre is it, what form is it? Let me, let me give us an example here. Uh, type. Uh, is it narrative? Is it poetry? Is it discourse? 
And then genre. Am I reading prophecy, psalms, wisdom, you know, things that are true about life most of the time? Uh, an epistle? Is it apocalyptic? Man, this is strange language. It's talking about dragons and swords and fire and horses, and I don't know what's going on here. Well, it's highly symbolic language, maybe. Is it a, is it a story like the story of Esther, beautiful story? And then form. Is it a parable, proverb, satire? history is a lament. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's full of sad things. It's, it's important to know what we're reading. So what is Jonah? Well, Jonah is a narrative style story. It's not poetry. It's not discourse, although it does have poetry in it. It's a novella. It's a, it's a short story, and it uses satire as its form. It's super important for us to know this, because satire is really important. Satire teaches us some amazing things. Um, s- satire, uh, it allows us to dissect something that's going on in society or that's going on inside of us. And some of my favorite movies are satirical. Like in the comedy vein, Zoolander. Great movie, right? Fant- not two so much. Zoolander 2, bleh, but Zoolander 1, great movie. Right? And it's over the top. You've got this, this whole like expose of the male model fashion culture. It's funny. And when Derek Zoolander looks into a puddle and he says, who am I? We're supposed to say, yeah, who am I? We're supposed to say, yeah, this, this is a story that's teaching me about how self-absorbed our culture is and maybe I am. And then a movie came out last year called Get Out, uh, written by Jordan Peele. Uh, Jordan Peele started in comedy. Now they're calling him the master of horror. They're calling him the new Alfred Hitchcock. He wrote this movie, Get Out, super scary, kind of Stepford Wivesy, uh, but it's satire, and it's supposed to teach us about the evils of racism. So movies like that are important because they, they teach us something. Satire works. That's why, that's why it's used so often. Uh, you maybe you read the Onion. The Onion is a satirical newspaper, right? They tell funny stories. There's a kind of churchy version of the Onion. It's called the Babylon Bee. I subscribe to it. I highly recommend you do. This is uh, one of the articles I saw recently in the Babylon Bee. It said Christian bookstore employee tasked with rotating out expired prophecy books. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny, right? Oh, Jesus is coming back in 2002. I mean, I meant to say four. I meant. The world's going to end in 2012 because of the Mayan calendar. Like, stop, right? That's, that's what satire does. The story of Jonah, the, the storyteller for us is doing the satire thing. The storyteller is holding up Jonah for analysis for us. We're supposed to poke holes in the story because it exposes the worst things in us, there's a great story in the Old Testament about uh, King David and the prophet Nathan. King David, um, he's got a ridiculous story. Uh, we, we did a series here not too long ago called Theme Songs of the Relational Cinema. You can go back and watch it online. David talks all about him. Uh, so he had his eyes on this woman, Bathsheba, and as, as any you know, wonderful person would do who's got the hots for somebody. He had her husband killed and then took her as his own. So the prophet Nathan comes to him. Nathan says, hey, I've got a story to tell you, king. You want to hear a story? Yeah, who doesn't like a good story? All right, there was this guy. He was really rich. He could have whatever he wanted. 
and he's got a neighbor, and his neighbor doesn't have anything except he's got this little lamb. Oh, man, it's a precious little lamb. He loves it so much. He just wants to hold it, and, and just it's, it's all he's got. It runs around the yard. It's like a pet. But the rich guy goes over to the poor guy's house, takes the lamb, slaughters it, and throws a party. And David hears this and goes, what? You've got to be kidding me. That guy deserves to die. <laughs> so Nathan says, well, you should probably choose your words carefully there, king. You're the man. That's the kind of thing that satire does. That's the thing that this story is doing for us. The writer of Jonah is pulling a Nathan on us. Now, the children's story version of Jonah that I heard, maybe you heard growing up, just focuses on his running away from God as part of his rebellion. Like God said, go here, and he ran away. That's, that's the big rebellion. But rebellion is all over the story. Rebellion happens before he even starts running. The other prophets in the Bible, they, they always had like this, this two-way communication with God. So when God says to Moses, hey, I want you to go speak to these people, uh, Moses says, I'm not your guy. I don't speak well. And God works with him. When, when Amos hears from God, he's like, yeah, I don't think so. I didn't go to prophet school. I'm not really your guy. I'm just a farmer. But God works with Amos. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, brutally honest, he calls God a liar. He says, God, you said you were going to protect me. But, but you're a liar. Well, God doesn't strike him dead. God works with that. God, God in the Bible, that what we read about God is that he is willing to listen. He's willing to negotiate. He's willing to adapt. He's, he's willing to uh, reconsider. But see, Jonah's rebellion starts before he even runs because it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city and preach against it. It's wickedness has come up before me, and then he runs. So what happened in between there? Well, he didn't talk to God. He, he didn't communicate with God. And so we are reading a special kind of prophet story here. By the way, we need to ask the question, do I believe that God's the kind of God that I can negotiate with, that I can tell him what's going on, that I can be honest with? Do I believe God will hear what I have to say. And the answer to that question is super important on how we're going to live the rest of our lives. One or two ways. So we need to ask, do I believe God is that kind of a God? Well, what's, what else is happening? How else is Jonah rebelling? Well, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. They threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Imagine what's happening here. There's a storm on the sea. (laughs) The ship is getting tossed back and forth. It's threatening to break up. They're throwing things over the side. Everybody's screaming, Oh, we're all going to (laughs) die! And Jonah is asleep. Now, can he really be asleep during all this mess? No, the story is saying the world was in such chaos. It was, it, was, it was going to hell all around Jonah, and he didn't care. He was asleep. Did you see that cruise ship this, way, this week, by the way? Like, that was all crazy? Like, lost its... Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. My daughter said, man, if that happened to me, I'd get right right in front of one of those sliding chairs and hope somebody gets it on camera and sue them. (laughs) 
I was like, whose kid are you? Actually, that's a good idea. No, no, no. That's horrible. Anyway. When we hear about Jonah sleeping, we're supposed to say, where am I? Right? The story causes us to ask questions about us. And then the words he says, the way he describes himself, you have to hear it like this. When they ask him who he is, he says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. We're supposed to hear this very pompous, self-aggrandizing, boastful, like puff yourself up kind of a... He's got this elevated view of who he is. And in the rest of the story, it's a total contradiction to who he says he is. Well, when we hear those things, we're supposed to go, oh, shoot. What do I say and how do I act? That's what good satire does. This is a totally different kind of a prophet story. The other prophet stories, you know, the word of the Lord comes to them, then they go do what he says. Micah, the the book right over says the word of the Lord came to Micah. That's exactly how Jonah started. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. But see, in Micah, then he says, here, O peoples, all of you, (laughs) it starts going on. Micah starts delivering the message that God said. But this is totally different here in this book. Amos condemns people for being at ease, for being lazy, for being lackadaisical. He says, come back to God. Joel, the prophet Joel says, return to me with all your heart. This is what God is saying. Come back. Hosea talks about coming back. Actually, crazy story of Hosea, the prophet. God instructs him to marry a prostitute. And it's a, it's a totally unfaithful marriage. And it's a whole big uh, picture for us of the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel and, and God constantly trying to say, don't you understand I love you? Then I, want to, I want this to be a beautiful relationship. Like, don't keep going out on the streets. All those other prophet stories are amazing turnaround, God wants to love you kinds of stories, but not Jonah's. Now, Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because they're the enemy, right? They're violent, they're oppressive, they've wiped out 10 of the tribes of Israel. Uh, It's crazy. Huge, vast empire. It's just, it's bloodthirsty. The king, uh, Shalmaneser IV, I think is his name, the the guy who was the king at that time. Um, Like, not a great king. But Jonah doesn't keep from going to Nineveh because he's afraid of them. Because Jonah is not afraid to die. That's not his issue. Right? He says, throw me into the sea and it'll become calm. He doesn't, he doesn't care. And, and again, it's not the last time that he's got a death wish in this story. He, it, repeatedly, we're going to see him say, I'm so angry, I want to die. Jonah is running not because he's afraid. He's running because he wants them to get what's coming to them. Ouch. I understand that. Some of my favorite movies are revenge movies. There's something about like the bad guy getting it that we love. I grew up with a girl, her name is Heidi. I grew up with her and her brother, Eric. And uh, Eric uh, passed away last year. Uh, up in Grass Valley, it was sad. I went to his memorial wall. <laughs> Heidi passed away quite a few years ago. Um, no, no parent should have to bury a couple of their kids, right? I mean, just horrid. It's even worse than that because 
Heidi, who got involved in kind of a rough crowd, and as we all do, a lot of us do. I mean, not me. Uh, <laughs> um, she was trying to put her life back together and had a couple kids, and, and then she was with a man uh, who took her life from her. And it, in a horrific way, uh, because he, he burned her alive. I know. It, now, I don't, I don't tell you that just because I want you to hear gory details. I tell you that because the next thing that's coming is going to blow your mind. Heidi's mom is a woman by the name of Cindy. She's the one that introduced my mom and dad to Jesus. Heidi's mom, by the way, or, or uh, Heidi's grandma, Cindy's mom, uh, introduced me to Jesus. So... Amazing family. Well, Cindy chooses to go to the prison and talk with this guy who has taken her daughter's life and talks about love and forgiveness and restoration and how Jesus wants to make him into something beautiful. Oh, come on. I don't think I could do that. What's even worse is that there's things that happen in my life where people wrong me. Like if, if Heidi's thing was on this level, all the other things are down on this level. <laughs> and I'm not even willing sometimes to, to talk to the people who have wronged me on, on that level. There's a great question that the sailors ask in this story when they roll the dice, when they cast lots, right? Magic eight ball. When they roll the dice, they ask, who is responsible? And we should read this story through this lens because it's a question that the writer of Jonah is asking you and I. Who is responsible? Now, not responsible for We can't be responsible for everybody, but responsible to, this is one of the things that Jesus is calling all humans to, having empathy, being available, following through with people, changing the things that we can in relationships that are gone bad. Responsible to is a big deal. It's a big deal. But Jonah, through this whole story, is, is blaming God, it's, it's everybody else's fault but Jonah's. He's blaming Nineveh, he's blaming God, he's blaming his job description. And that's what we do when we are irresponsible. Actually, the, the, the definition of blame is assigning responsibility to someone else. Now, we think that when we get in a, a habit of blaming other people, we think that we're preserving like our own identity. That's not my bad, <laughs> Lego, you did that to me. <laughs> you didn't do anything. It's okay, brother. Rest easy. But, you know, it's like, you did that. Don't put that mojo on me. No, no, no. And I think I'm preserving my own identity. But the, but the more I blame, I really um, just lose my ability to be self-aware. And all through the story... Jonah is the most unself-aware person ever. Like, 
The sailors know what's going on. The sailors are, are scrambling to save his life and their lives and calling out to him. Actually, when speaking of words, when the captain goes down to wake him up in the bottom of the ship, he says, arise, go, pray to your God. Maybe he'll save us. It's the same language that God uses in the very beginning of the story. He says, Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. Super, super fun. So the sailors, they know what's going on. Nineveh knows. We're going to see later on in the story, spoiler alert, that Nineveh actually turns around uh, for a time being anyway uh, in history. And um, so even Nineveh knows. Sailors know. Nineveh knows what's going on. The ship even knows what's going on. This is, this is so fun. The language that it uses here is when the storm comes upon them, it says uh, that they all, they all cried to, uh, out to their God. A violent storm arose. The ship threatened to break up. The actual language that's used here is personifying the ship. The ship pondered breaking up is, what the, is really what it's getting at. So the ship is like, bah, man, crazy storm, feel like breaking up, but I don't know, I got lives on board, I should protect everybody. That's how obvious the writer is trying to make the story to us. Everybody knows. And you know what? Now that we know the story, we know. And we can't, we can't unknow now. So... Jonah's taking down everybody else with him in the story. Because, really, you don't, you don't rebel in private, right? <laughs> that just doesn't happen. It's not a private decision to rebel. You take down others with you. Our lives don't just affect us. They have ripple effects when, when it all goes bad. And so now we, we ask the question, like they asked of Jonah, who's responsible? And the answer is, we are. We're responsible And it takes everybody on the outside of the story, on the outside of Jonah looking into his life and us looking in to to get to this point. And sometimes it's the people who are on the outside who are the most keenly aware of the things that are going on in us and the people that we are or the people that we are becoming. And it's important for us uh, to listen and to pay attention to those things that are happening around us. Now, with every breath that I have, as long as I have breath, I... I want to be part of something. I want to be part of a movement here that we are looking at our community and we are seeing people as human. That we're putting skin on people. And we're inviting them into this beautiful story called the gospel. The gospel is not just a private thing. It's not just my thing. It's not just for me. Actually, I think the language of Jesus being my personal Lord and Savior is kind of problematic because, yeah, I mean, I have a relationship with God, but you know what? It's, it's not all about me. It's, a, it's about us and them. So I want everything we do here to be creating opportunities to do life with people. I'm really proud of our staff, by the way. We're doing this thing called Outside 745 uh, this year. It's like this new focus on reaching our community. And we asked our staff to, um, to dream big dreams and, and to uh, come up with the most creative, innovative, imaginative ways that they could uh, use their own gifts to lead some things in our community to invite people into conversation. So here's some of the things that are happening this year. Uh, our Kids Fest is going to be doing a, a, a takeover of a park in Folsom this year. And they're 
going to have a huge party. Imagine face painting and music and blow up bouncy things and like invite all of Folsom to be part of this. Uh, Doug Rausch, our high school pastor, I'm, I could not be more proud of this guy and his team. They are working to put together a high school chaplaincy program and they are going to legally be able to have a chaplaincy program available on Folsom High's campus. That's where they're starting with that. Yeah, right? I mean, that, that's fantastic. That's where they're starting. Uh, Mike Clockenbrink is doing a thing called Serving Seniors where he's, this year he's going to uh, try to surface some needs for seniors who uh, need some things repaired around their home, need some things taken care of and uh, mobilize the entire city to be able to do some things for seniors. Uh, Sudden Impact Paintball Battle speaks for itself, right? Uh, That that, that is happening with our our middle schoolers and it's a father-son deal that they're going to have and inviting all fathers and sons in the community to be part of this. Uh, Josh and his team are doing something incredible called Full some vibe where they're pulling together songwriters in our community. They're uh, taking their songs, they're recording an album, and then for the first time ever, the Harris Center is allowing an outside organization to come in, do a CD release concert for that album, and all the money uh, is going to be raised and given to uh, the food bank for that. So yeah, right? It's crazy. Sean Miller, uh, Pastor Sean, is going to be leading something starting real soon called Pint Size Theology, where uh, opening up conversations about the tough things of theology, the Bible, spirituality, life, culture, uh, and have these conversations in a local brewery here at Red Bus Brewery. Um, Yeah, you can clap for that. So, and, and the idea is that the entire community gets involved in this conversation. Brad um, is going to be doing something called Three Bridges Leadership Symposium, where uh, quarterly this year, Brad is uh, getting together with other leaders to breathe life and energy into leaders in uh, business and leaders in education and and, and leaders in government here in Folsom, and uh, just just to be able to help, because he realizes that there's a need there, and that's something that he's good at. Uh, The Ball Humbug Race is happening uh, around Christmas time. It's a race that's going to be on the, you got it, Humbug's Trail and the Humbug Trail, and they're going to raise money and give that away because uh, we like races in this community, don't we? I mean, I don't run. I, I run when there's danger, ladies and gentlemen, but... <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Pastor Alicia is doing something called Shoplift, and, and she has recognized that there's a huge need for a bunch of ladies in our community who don't really have the means and don't know how to connect the dots to be able to be filled up, not only to make themselves feel beautiful on the outside, but to feel beautiful on the inside. And so she is working with a, a great group of people to be able to uh, create this event and invite people into that and make them feel special and understand what God is doing in their life and wants for them. And then I'm leading a thing at Christmas time called Twas the Pint Before Christmas. And uh, we are um, recording a, a Christmas album live in a brewery, but we're also doing um, uh, a candlelight, two candlelight gatherings in the brewery, and we're inviting the community into that thing. People who normally uh, wouldn't go somewhere on Christmas Eve might, might come to that thing. I know a lot of my neighbors are coming already. So I'm super proud of our staff doing all of that stuff, right? Well, yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. 
But here's the other thing, and it's kind of a challenge. It's kind of a dare, even, if you will. I triple dog dare you. If you have uh, some kind of imaginative idea, not that you want to give me to do, but rather you say, this is something that I, I want to lead, and I have a very good plan of how this could look and a vision, I will sit down with you, and I will walk through the exact same process that I did with our staff. We have a whole list of questions we ask to see if that lines up with uh, everything that we're doing, and, and I'm very curious. So you can email me uh, and uh, johnvols at lakesidechurch.com, and we'll see if we can make some magic happen there. Because you know what? People matter. People, yeah, yes. <laughs> God is gracious and merciful all the time. The book of Jonah is telling us this over and over. He's merciful to everyone. He's not our private possession. So if, if we have a chance to lead a charge for a new movement of mercy and grace here in this area, even if it means that we are going straight smack dab into something that we don't necessarily like all the time, and even if our own camp is going to make fun of us or point the finger at us for doing it, don't we want to do that? I, I want to be part of something like that. So engagement, involvement, contribution, association with. These are all the things that we need to be talking about. And this is what the book of Jonah is really screaming at us. And oh my gosh, we're only in chapter one. The fish hasn't even shown up on the scene yet. That happens next week. Participation is the antidote to irresponsibility. And this story, you guys, over and over is asking the question, who is responsible? And the answer is we. We are responsible. So would you pray with me, God? We want to be the kind of people that participate with other humans in this culture and invite them into this thing that you call abundant life, God. You're doing amazing things. We also know, Lord, that you want to mobilize us and kind of rally the troops uh, to continue to do even more imaginative, uh, progressive innovative uh, things in our community because there's real deep needs here, Lord, and we want to we do that. We don't, we don't want to run. We don't want to sleep. We don't want to hide. We want to be true to the name that you've given us, Lord, and you call us ambassadors. You call us ambassadors to the world, and, and as if you're, you're, you're giving your plea through us, The Bible says we want to be that kind of people. We love you. Thank you for this story. Amen.